Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Hey, my name is Jerron, um, like you said, uh, from Joplin. My wife and I be married five years in September, um, having our first baby boy in September. Um, that's happy. Um, uh, yeah, no, you've got really great leaders. Ephesians 4, same thing that Brian referenced. One of God's signs or proofs of how much he loves you is the people that he puts you in the same church with. And people like Brian and Rachel and David and Danielle and plenty of people, Kurt and Brenda, the McCutcheons, Wes and Sam, these people are signs. Uh, even people I haven't named that I don't know are signs that God loves you a lot. Um, and aside from knowing Jesus, you were made for him. God made you to be in a community, in relationship with people uh, where you can be changed and contribute to their change. And this is one of the perfect places for that to happen. So if you're on the peripheral wondering, is this a place for me? Welcome home. This is the spot for you to be changed, to love and be loved and know God. And I'm going to stop rambling because you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh, Acts chapter four. Let's go to Acts chapter four. Once you're there, I'm going to make you stand up with me to read this. Go ahead and stand up for me. Acts chapter four. We're going to read verses four. 5 to 13, Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 13. Um, uh, I don't know what kind of church y'all were raised in, but I was raised in what we call a, a talkback church. Um, so I promise I will preach faster if you talk back. Like we practice, we practice. I say something like, Chick-fil-A is the second best chicken sandwich next to Popeye's. You say something like, amen. <laughs> well, you said something. You said something. Church I grew up in when the sermon was bad, they say something like, bring it on home now. Go ahead and sit down. Um, <laughs> Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, uh, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected uh, by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Your kingdom come, come have your way among us today. Uh, give us more faith in Jesus. Make us to look like Jesus. Make us to know Jesus more. Have your way. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Um, I'm going to make you be a talkback church, whether you like it or not. Uh, tap someone next to you and tell them, friend, God wants to renovate your heart. Uh, tag someone next to you, the second choice, but act more excited. Friend, 
God wants to renovate your heart. I'm going to steal the title of a great book by Dallas Willard called Renovation of the Heart and uh, uh, put it on this sermon. We're going to talk about the renovation of the heart. I just finished my first year on faculty at uh, my alma mater, um, and I learned a lot. Uh, I learned more than I, than I taught. Uh, for instance, I learned that 18 to 23-year-olds have this uncanny ability to gaslight professors. Um, <laughs> So, so it's like one week into the semester and I'm talking to them about this assignment and I'm saying, okay, you do this, 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 and this. And somehow all of them coordinated on this effort to say, ah, what you just said and described isn't on the syllabus. So I was like, no biggie. You got another week to do it. Only for me to get home that evening, look at the syllabus and what I said is what was on the syllabus. They gaslighted me. Uh, I, I learned. I learned that. I learned that I must have been a big cause of stress for my former professors, as I'm grading papers and I'm reading what students are writing and asking myself, why on God's green earth would you actually write that and then turn it in as a serious assignment? <laughs> Only to remember that my assignments were ten times worse. If you want proof that God exists, I, I made it through undergrad with a 2.3 GPA, made it through graduate with a 3.8 GPA. God's real. Um, I, I learned this one. One of my other friends who were on faculty, he told me pretty early on that, that, that teaching deals with the heart of the student just as much as it deals with the head of the student. Shout out all educators in the room. You know this, that you're dealing with the heart just as much as you're dealing with the head. I learned this pretty early on as I'm teaching my students about, it's a leadership class, and I'm teaching them about this research done at Ohio State University where they uh, studied and surveyed thousands of people and concluded that leadership is a set of behaviors that can be learned. So all of my students, they're writing, ah, oh, that's deep, yes. And I had one little girl who said, well, she's a woman, young, one young woman who said, uh, I don't know if I actually buy that. And then I remember what my friend said, you're dealing with the heart just as much as you're dealing with the head. So I start to probe. And what ended up coming out, and she wrestled with this question, can a person actually change in a way that's necessary to be a good leader? Can a person go from not having compassion to having compassion? I know you can learn to manage your time, but can you go from not being empathetic to actually empathetic? Can a person change? Now, what I respect about her is that she thought what you thought. She was just honest enough to vocalize it. So here's the rhetorical question of your heart that I want to highlight today. Can a person actually change? God, I need to know if a person can actually change because I'm just this close to throwing in the towel on actually fighting that which I struggle with. Because if I can't change, it's not worth it. God, I need to know if a person can change because I'm this close to giving up on that man who I wish would live up to the title of husband. Can a person actually change? God, it's the same old story with them. I'm disappointed, but not surprised. Can a person actually change? God, I'm two sessions into therapy and I've gotten all the books and I'm, I'm, I'm happy about my prospects, but can a person actually change? The question I want to ask today is specifically towards God. Can a person actually change? Now, we're going to get our answer as we park ourselves in this passage. But before we get to that text, I want to give you the context. We, we just read Acts chapter 4. The book of Luke and the book of, book of Acts were written by the same man named Luke. Luke wrote both of them. And what he shows us in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He records Jesus saying this. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Shout Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. 
And Luke, he uses that four-parted statement as the outline for the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 8 records the church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 9 to 11 records the church in Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 13 to 28 records the church in the known world. So we walk up to Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 as they're in Jerusalem on trial in front of the Supreme Court. They had just healed a man, made a man get up and walk. This massive crowd was formed. They preached Jesus. A religious riot starts. It's the first Jesus or second Jesus movement. Thousands of people get saved. The religious leaders get mad. Peter and John get arrested. Here they're on trial. They end up getting threatened and told, don't preach Jesus anymore or you're going to go back to jail. They go home, pray for boldness, preach them some more, and people get saved some more. The story of the church in Jerusalem can be summarized by this phrase. No matter how hard the religious leaders tried to push back on the gospel in Jesus, God pushed the gospel in Jesus forward. Let me say it this way. No matter how hard people try to reject and suppress Jesus, God will continue to exalt Jesus. I can't swim. Uh, some of you can't swim either. So, so we, you like me, we chill on the gangster end of the three-foot pool, and, and we, we get a ba- You ever tried to get a basketball or a bouncy ball and try to push that thing underwater? And no matter how hard you try to push that thing underwater, that water kept using all of its force to push that thing back up. Let, let that science lesson be a theology lesson to you. No matter how hard people try to push Jesus down, all the power of heaven is pushing Jesus back up. Let me talk to some of you who see yourself and you're noticing yourself living in a society that will try to suppress or minimize or reduce Christ and his church. Some will say he's just a good dude. He's not God. Some will say Christianity is just a religion among the many spiritualities. Some will go as far to say as Christianity might be oppressive. It needs to go no matter how hard they try to push back. All the power of God is pushing forward. Just look throughout history and peep the power of God. We went from 11 dudes hiding in a room because Jesus was killed to being in that same city a few weeks later shouting Jesus as the risen Lord. Look, look, peep the power of God as the Roman Empire used all of its abilities to push back on Christ, but the power of God kept pushing forward. Peep the power of God as you look at atheist governments like the Chinese government, the Albanian government, using all of its power to push back on Jesus, but the power of God pushed Jesus forward. Bring it closer to home and look at how the counterfeit slaveholding Christianity of the land tried to push back on the true Jesus, but the power of God pushed the true Jesus forward throughout history. Look at how your own sin tried to push back. But here you are today, God still push forward. No matter how hard you try to push back, Christ is being pushed forward. In the end, Christ always comes out on top. So that's what you see in this passage here. What we're going to see is Christ coming out on top specifically in the life of Peter. And what we're going to see is that Christ got his way in Peter. Christ came out on top in Peter's life and completely transformed who he was. So what I want to do is I want to use Peter's experience of being transformed as the basis for a few hypothetical questions. Um, Here's the first one. Shout what? What? If I were to be changed, what would it look like? Shout why? Why? If I were to be changed, uh, why would it happen? Shout how? How? If I were to be changed, how would it happen? I want to reorder that. What, how, why? If I were to be changed, what would it look like? If I were to be changed, how would it happen? If I were to be changed, why would it happen? Let's start with the first one. If I were to be changed, what would it look like? Let me read uh, this passage again for you. 
On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. Make note of this. They're in front of the Supreme Court, next to the Roman government, the most powerful group of people in the country. So that's the first note. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. Make note of this. Peter embraces and claims Jesus. And then uh, go down to verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were, having, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. In front of the Supreme Court, Peter embraces Jesus. Peter's recognized as having been with Jesus. Now, I'm going to rewind in time to Luke chapter 24, to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read this to you. Listen to this. Having arrested Jesus, uh, the army led Jesus away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and it sat down together, Peter was sitting among them and a servant girl, make note of that, a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him said, this man was with him too. Make note of that. Peter was recognized by her as having been with Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. Peter denied knowing Jesus. Luke 22, Peter's in front of a servant girl, considered subhuman. Acts chapter 4, Peter's in front of the Supreme Court, the most powerful people in the country. Luke 22, Peter denies ever knowing Jesus. Acts chapter 4, Peter claims Jesus as the risen king. Luke 22, Peter is recognized as having been with Jesus, but denied it. Acts chapter 4, Peter's recognized as having been with Jesus because he embraced Jesus. How did Peter go from a coward in Luke 22 to courageous in Acts chapter 4? Push even further. Peter's original name, Simon Barjona, meant flaky. I promise that's an accurate translation. I, I promise that's an accurate translation. Flaky, shady, fickle. Peter was transformed. His name was changed to, to, to rock, constant, stable. How did he go from a coward to courageous? From a flaky to stable leader of the church in weeks. And don't give me the Bible answer and say Jesus. Peter was with Jesus for 22 chapters in the book of Luke, three years, and was still a punk. How? I think between Luke 22 and Acts chapter 4, it's Acts chapter 2. Um, 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 Peter was, was a coward in Luke 22. The Spirit came on the church in Acts chapter 2. Peter's courageous in Acts chapter 4. Do you notice what Luke said in uh, verse 8 of our passage? Peter, filled with the Spirit did what he did. The spirit transformed Peter's character. And if you were to be changed, what would it look like? It would look like the spirit transforming your character. How on earth, when you're sitting in a quiet room, do you remove silence from the room? You remove the silence from the room by pushing the silence out? No. You remove the silence from the room by pulling the, science out, the silence out? No. Do you remove the silence from a quiet room by having a vision and a dream board? No. Do you remove the silence from a room by manifesting it? No. 
you want to remove silence from a, from a quiet room, that, that quiet room has to be filled with the song of David Ruffin saying, I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. Or you want silence to be removed from a quiet room, that room has to be filled with Adele saying, go easy. I can't sing on me, baby. No, 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 no. As the song fills the room, the silence is pushed out of the room. This is how change works for you. The, the silence of sin is not removed from the sin of your heart by focusing on getting the silence of sin out. The silence of sin is removed from your heart by being filled with the song of the Spirit. Listen, listen, we make a mistake by trying to remove sin by focusing on removing sin. Sin is removed by focusing on being filled with the Spirit. If you were to change, it's because the Spirit of God dwells in you, not self-help. Do you know what you can do for you? This is the book of Galatians. Do you know what you can do for you? You can fail yourself. And the five of you in the room that can white knuckle yourself out to behavior modification, what that gets you is, is pride. And you know what the scripture says? God opposes that. You only give yourself failure and pride. Both of them are failure. But, but, but God says, no, I'm going to fill you with my good spirit and he's going to change you. So if you were to be changed, it would look like the spirit changing your character. Here's our second question. If the spirit were to change me, how would it happen? How would it happen? Shout this word. Shout word. word. One more time. Shout word. word. Uh, Paul, uh, the word of Christ is how the spirit changes characters. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this. We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. Now, Paul, he's in the middle of this conversation about talking about how people read the Bible, the Old Testament in specific. They read it, but they don't have the spirit, so they, nothing get, comes out of it. And he says, but we all, those of us who believe in Jesus, who have the spirit, we can read even the Old Testament. And we see Jesus. And as we see Jesus, the spirit is making us match the Jesus that we see. Uh, I grew up going to black barbershops. I've never been to a white barbershop. So you tell me if white barbershops are like this. When In the barbershops that I grew up in, we had like a chair that we sat down in to get cut. But on the other wall was a poster and it had like a picture of 50 different dudes with 50 different kind of haircuts. And I sit down in the seat and I tell the barber, I want the fade on number 12. And as I'm staring at the picture that I want, as I'm, as I'm telling this dude that's what I want, he's giving me the cut that I see. Actually, a uh, few weeks ago, I was in the barbershop and uh, this little video white kid walked in and we were all confused. Um, and he walked in, all confused. Um, and then the barber who had him a few minutes later, uh, he walked over to the wall and he said, you want that? Pointing at a, a haircut that only black people could have. And the kids say, yeah. And he was like, look, I can work a miracle on you now. I just wanted to make sure. And would you believe it? A few minutes later, that kid had that cut. That barber worked a miracle. This is how change works. As you sit down in the spirit and see the picture of Jesus, or as you sit down in the scripture and see the uh, picture of Jesus and tell the spirit, that's what I want. He's giving you the same picture that you see. And you might think this is unattainable for me. Mm -mm. He's a miracle worker. H.B. Charles Jr., he says, it is the will of God that the spirit of God use the word of God to make the children of God look like the son of God. You can't change anybody. Mom, you can't change that kid. Husband, you can't change that wife. 
Girlfriend, stop flirting to convert. You ain't gonna change that boy. <laughs> Boyfriend, stop being so harsh because you can't change her. Friend, stop being so darn critical because you can't change them. But you know what you can do? You can lead them to the place where they get changed. Open up that scripture together. Listen, and it's not enough just to know the scripture. It's not, that's Paul's argument. It's not enough just to know the Bible. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the devil quoting the Bible, and he was still the devil knowing the Bible. No, 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 you gotta know who's in the Bible. You, you gotta see Jesus in the scripture, and it's as you see Jesus, the Spirit is giving you that same image. So if the Spirit were to change you, how would it happen? It would happen by him using the word. And here's our last one. If the Spirit changed me, why would it happen? Shout this word, shout cross. The cross of Christ is why the spirit changes characters. Luke 22, Jesus says this, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Covenant, it, it's, it's an agreement, almost a marriage agreement that God has with people. It's God saying, I'll do this, you'll do that. This is how a relationship will be. Uh, the first one, which is your Old Testament, Moses was the efficient between God and the nation of Israel. And he made that covenant official by killing some animals and sprinkling some blood. So here Jesus comes and he says, there's going to be a new marriage agreement between God and people, and it's going to be made official by my own blood. And here's what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah chapter 31, it describes this new agreement. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. This is the covenant I'll make with uh, uh, Christians in Sunset Hills. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart, I will write it. I will be their God and they will be my people. They won't teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I'll forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Did you notice that every commitment in that thing was a commitment that God is making towards you and not one you're making towards him. And he says, I'm committing to forgive you of your sins. I'm committing to not remember your sins. I'm committing to write my law on your hearts. Here's what that is. That's a poetic way of God saying, I'm going to transform your insides. I'm going to, I'm going to rewire your mind to where it's set on doing what I want. I'm going to rewire your heart to where it delights to do what I want. I'm going to rewire your will to where it's determined to do what I want. God says, I promise to change you. So, so, uh, so some of you, you, you you've, you've moved into an apartment or you've bought a house and you know the whole thing before anything happens. That contract has to be signed. That contract says this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Then we sign it. Then it's official. God, he's handing you a contract. He says, my agreement, my contractual agreement with you is I'm going to change your heart. And he wrote that thing in the blood of Jesus, which means it's solidified. Amen. Change is the product of God's preference for you, not the product of your effort or performance earning it. The same amazing grace that saved you is the same amazing grace that's changing you. How many of y'all grew up in little bitty country churches where you sang all four verses of the hymns? How many of y'all? So the, 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 the person who's been changed by God is, is an amazing grace of verse, verse three kind of person. Now, verse two is good. 
Verse two is the song of the person who's been saved by God. Uh, uh, Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How gracious did that, or how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. That's the song of the person who's been saved. But move on to verse three. That's the song of the person who's been changed. Through many trials and snarls and tears, I've already come. Twas grace that brought me this far in my development. And it's grace that's going to bring me home all the way to blessed perfection. You were changed. You are being changed. You will be changed by amazing grace. So, so, so if you were to be changed, what would it look like? It would look like the spirit transforming your character. And if the spirit were to change you, it would be by the spirit using the word of Christ to change you. And If the spirit used the word of Christ to change you, it would be because the blood of Christ ratified God's covenant, which promises to change you. I'm peeping an answer to our original question. Can a person be changed? God's answer isn't just an unqualified yes, a person can be changed. It's a promise. You are being changed. The spirit-filled believer is being changed. The way your relationship with God is set up is he promised to change your mind every day. The way your relationship with God is set up is he promises to change your heart every single day. The way your relationship with God is set up is he said, I started it and I'm going to finish it. You will be changed. And here's the invitation. Receive the spirit and be changed. Some of you aren't believers in Jesus. Listen to me. You can't do anything for you. You tried. And you're either here as an attempt to change yourself because you've given up on trying to change yourself. Here's Jesus's invitation. I can change you and do more in you than you or anybody could ever do for you. And it's free. All you have to do is believe in me. If you believe that I came, I died, I rose, I'm sitting in heaven right now. And if your heart believes that, say it with your mouth. And in an instant, you're a fundamentally different person. Christian. Believer in Jesus, listen to me, don't throw in the towel. You won't struggle with it forever. There's going to be a day, if not on earth, in the new heavens and earth, where you will be a fundamentally new person. Don't give up on your wife. If the spirit is in her, she's being changed. Don't give up on the annoying people in your community group. If the spirit is in them, they're being changed. Listen, there's not a single perfect church on earth. Don't give up on your church. Together, we're all being changed. Instead, what do you do? Be filled. Grammatically, that's Paul saying, be filled every day. Keep on doing it. So whenever you get discouraged, just say, Holy Spirit, change me. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. And if you doubt that power of the spirit to change you, and say, I know he could change you, but I don't know if he can change me. No, no, run through his track record. That spirit that God has sitting in you is a strong spirit. That, that strong spirit caused a baby to be conceived within and birthed from without a virgin, without any man's help. That strong spirit caused that man, that baby to grow up into a man who could evict demons and pull out diseases with a word. That strong spirit found that man three days dead in a grave and put breath back in his lungs. 
That strong spirit put a beat back in his chest. That strong spirit put waves back in his brain. That strong spirit picked him up from a borrowed tomb on earth and placed him on his rightful throne in heaven. And that strong spirit went from heaven up there and made his home in your heart down here. And he's changing you. Tony Evans says, this is what happens. He's renovating your heart. He's going Chip and Joanna Gaines on you. He, so, so, so some of y'all, you, you've, you've moved, into, you've moved into, into houses where the previous owner was messy and had bad taste. That thing was ugly. Carpet's red. Walls yellow. Looks like it came straight out of that 70s show. With mold, because they were messy. But, but, but you're classy. And you clean. So you walked in, and because you're clean, you cleaned it up. Because you're classy, you gave it a new look. You, the, the house ended up matching its new owner. He says, this is what happens to you because the Spirit's in you. Before you knew Jesus, it was you living in there. And you're messy. But, but, but God bought you with a price, the blood of Jesus. And by way of the Spirit, that strong Spirit moved into you. And you know why we call him the Holy Spirit? Because he's the Spirit who makes you holy. He starts renovating your heart. He starts making you look like Jesus. He removes that which needs to be removed. He adds what needs to be added. He, he, he reorganizes your loves. He reorients your heart. He renovates your heart. So don't give up. Mm-mm, let him do his thing. But here, 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 here's your question. Here, here's what your heart asks. Can a person really be changed? Can I really be changed? Can the person next to me really be changed? God's answer is yes. And so my heart says, by faith, even when I don't see it, Holy Spirit, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, Holy Spirit, you're working. This is my only hope. This is your only hope. Don't get it confused. Ain't a single person who stands up here in front of you, none of us, none of us are the result of us dragging ourselves here are the result of us pulling our own, boot, our own selves up by our bootstraps. And if anybody gets up here and says they are, run. My only hope for my wife, my kid, my church, this world, your only hope is that the spirit of God comes and changes us and then comes back again tomorrow and changes us and that he don't ever leave, but he stays here and he keeps changing me. Uh, stand up together. I want to pray together. Uh, one of the things the book of Psalms specifically teaches us is that your heart and your mind, they follow your body. Um, so I want to I want to receive from the spirit. But if we will, can we take a physical posture of reception, whether that be putting your arms out like this, whatever that looks like for you. I just want to have a moment of receiving from the spirit and saying, come and do all that you want to do. Come and fill us. There are different ways that could look like for you. If you haven't believed in Jesus, if he's gripping your heart, if he's doing something in you, if he's showing himself to be alive to you, you can just say yes. Yes, and come change me. If you are a believer and you've given up hope or you've you've accepted the reality that you're just always going to be like this and there's no hope for you, Just ask him, come give me hope. Give me faith. 
I know it feels really good to make yourself a set of rules and accomplish them. But Lord, save me from trying to save myself. You might got a kid who is wilding out right now. Pray for him. That same spirit who's changing you can change them too. Mama, daddy, I know they left. I know they left the church, but they can come back. Jesus can change them. Holy Spirit, come fill us.